0: On this episode of the Armchair Coaching Podcast, we are talking Clemson Tiger football. All right, welcome into the Armchair Coaching Podcast. This is going to be episode two. This is our first program profile. And the voters on Twitter had the option of choosing uh, Clemson, Oklahoma, Auburn, or other. And it was kind of close between Clemson and Auburn, but I think everybody wanted to talk a little bit about Debo Sweeney, all right, which is fine with me. I, I like the Clemson Tigers, too. Um, so we've got a couple guests tonight. We've got uh, Coach Nicholas Banstra. We've got Matthew Bennett, John Bronkhurst, Adam Wilson, Corky Whitlock, and Coach Steve. And so I'm going to go ahead and let you guys introduce yourself. Starting with Coach Banstra, let me unmute you.
1: Thanks, Coach. Um, If you didn't listen to the coach's last podcast, uh, my name is Nick Banstra. I am currently the special teams coordinator and wide receivers coach at um, Fairborn, Ohio, here in East Dayton. Um, I am. I also run a um, YouTube channel. Uh, You can just put my name, Nick Banstra. Or uh, Coach Banster on YouTube. I mean, I got 300 or 200, whatever. I don't even know how many clients at this point from coaches across country. Um, and I, I think I'm—I oh, I forgot to mention last time. I'm entering my what 10-tier coaching. I um, appreciate appreciate Coach having me on and uh, getting a little Midwestern flair on an uh, on opinion of a Southern school. So I appreciate it, Coach.
0: All right, thank you for coming out. All right, the next coach is Coach Matthew Bennett.
2: Hey, Coach um, Matthew Bennett. I'm the co-offensive coordinator and offensive line coach at Clinton High School in Clinton, South Carolina. Uh, going into year twelve of coaching, I was fortunate to be on your first episode along with Coach Banstra. we had a great time. Uh, an hour-long episode that took two hours because we had so much good times talking talking football. Um, I I don't I don't have a podcast or anything like that. But if you guys ever want to talk football, I'm on Twitter, Coach Bennett 32. Uh, I love talking football. Anytime anybody wants to reach out, that's fine, and we'll uh, we'll chew the fat. Uh, I mean I'm glad you asked me on. I'm uh, looking forward to giving uh, an account, my personal account of Clemson football, which I've been forcing to see up close a few times and had, up to this point, three players uh, play for Coach Sweeney.
0: All right, that's awesome. Thank you for coming back. All right, uh, next up is Coach Bronkhurst.
3: I'm Bronkhorst. I'm the offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach at Bastrop High School in Bastrop, Texas. Uh, we're in Class 5A um, school here in Texas. i um, very honored to be on tonight. Uh, this is my first time. With you and uh, Coach, can't uh, can't tell you how much I'm excited about talking Clemson football. I'm a big big believer in what they do offensively, um, and, and uh, you know this, this should be fun. Got a lot of great coaches on this panel tonight, so I'm hoping to be able to pull my own here. Um, but uh, i you know I don't like Coach. I, I don't have a YouTube channel or anything like that, but uh, my Twitter handles at Coach Bronk. If you ever uh, if you ever want to talk football, I'm always available.
0: All right, thank you. Next coach is Coach Adam Wilson. Hey, guys.
4: I'm Adam Wilson. I coach at South Cobb High School in Austell, Georgia. Going into my sixth year coaching, I coach the tight ends, the HVACs, and I'm the special teams coordinator. And my Twitter is at AdamMWilson, and I appreciate you having me
0: on. Thank you for coming out. All right. Next up, we have Coach Whitlock.
5: Hey thanks for having me on. Uh coach Whitlock, uh currently not coaching, uh you know working in the public sector. Um <clears throat> previous coach for 10 years. Um kind of born and raised a Clemson fan actually, so I was excited to get the invite. Um grew up in uh Clemson for 8 years. Been to many, many games. Was there in the 81 national championship year. Um went to the national championship game they won with Watson a few years ago with my son and um Happy to be here and talk football with y'all. And I do have a Twitter, it's Corky Whitlock, um, and love college football, huge college football fan, my whole family is, so always willing to talk college football. All right,
0: thanks for coming out. And last but not least, Coach Steve.
6: Yeah, thanks for having me on, Um, first time on here. Um, I'm the uh, Marcy Offensive Line Coach and Run Game Coordinator at Addison Trail High School in Addison, Illinois. It's a western suburb of Chicago. Um, going into 11 years of coaching. I started when I was 18, 19 years old. Um, this is my fifth high school in those years. Um, was going to be my first time, but now we have football in the spring, so I get a little time off. Um, I am a podcast newbie. Uh, it's Sideline Podcast with Coach Steve. Uh, I started back in February. Now it's been off and on. Um, I do have a Twitter. It's Coach underscore Steve 72. And the Sideline Podcast is on YouTube as well, trying to get that going. I am a Nick Saban fan, so I had to watch Clemson beat them a couple times, Uh, but I do respect what they do. I'm excited to talk about it.
0: Hey, there's nothing wrong with being a Nick Saban fan. He's had a lot of success himself, and I'm very respectful of what they do down there at Alabama. Um, I am Coach Sheffer. I am the uh, offensive line coach at Brentsville District High School in Noakesville, Virginia. We are in uh, Northern Virginia, so not very far away from D.C., um, so what we're going to do tonight is this is the very first of what I'd like to call a series of program profiles. Um, the idea behind this, uh, I was thinking about it for a long time. Uh, I, I used to write in a blog, um, but you know, these profiles are probably going to take pages and pages of information. So I figured nobody's going to read a blog like that. Uh, So what's the best way to do it? I thought maybe a podcast. And honestly, uh, Coach Steve, it was your idea uh, for me to look up Anchor. And uh, that's how how we're doing our podcast is through the Anchor app. So I appreciate uh, you telling me about Anchor. All right. So Clemson football. Got a couple stats that I want to talk about just to give us a little bit of uh, background. Um, Personally... I started following Clemson. Um, you guys can probably you nod your head if you remember back when Taj Boyd was the quarterback. Mm-hmm. So those days, like Sammy Watkins, Taj Boyd. Uh, so that's when I started watching them. And that was, I would say they were good, but they were not at the level that they currently are right now, uh, winning national championships and going to back-to-back-to-back um, college football playoffs. All right, so this is – their head coach is Dabo Sweeney. We'll talk about Dabo a little bit. This is his 12th season at Clemson. He has a win-loss total of 130 wins and 31 losses, which adds up to a .807 win percentage. Now, if you compare that to the all-time Clemson uh, win-loss column, they have 758 wins, 460 losses, and 43 ties, which gives all-time – they have a 0.618 win percentage. So there's an obvious increase in win percentage under Coach Sweeney. Um, Now, in my personal opinion, this is a very good example of maybe not firing your coach right off the bat if they don't have instant success. Uh, Maybe give them a little bit of time to build that culture and and a a good culture I do believe they have there here, here at Clemson. They have uh, five appearances in the uh, college football playoff in 2015, 2016, 17, 18, and 19. Uh, a record of six and three in the college football playoff, with their last game being a loss to the LSU Tigers. Um, they have three national championships. Their first one was in 1981, and then they ripped off two in uh, 2016 and 2018. They have six conference championships under Dabo Sweeney. And just for a little bit of background, the last three years, I'm going to read some stats, some offensive stats mainly. So in 2017, yards per game, 429.6 yards per game, 33.3 points per game. Uh, rushing yardage, 104, uh, an average of 194, excuse me. Uh, yards per game and passing about 235 yards per game that was when kelly bryant was the quarterback and then trevor lawrence came in in 2018 and they jumped from 429 yards per game to 527 yards per game 44 points per game 248 almost 250 rushing yards per game and 279 passing yards per game 2019 last season About the same, 528 yards per game, 43 points per game, 240 rushing yards per game, and 288 passing yards per game. So, in my opinion, Trevor Lawrence was obviously the better choice. They made the right choice with that. Okay, so we've got a couple questions that I'm going to ask, and I have uh, the order of who I would like to answer the questions um, coming up here in a moment. So here's our first question. It's going to be about Dabo Sweeney. Question number one, there seems to be a lot of differing opinions on Coach Sweeney and how he runs his program. Where do you stand on Dabo and why? And Coach Steve, I'm going to give you first go.
6: I mean, you can't argue with the wins and losses and the points per game and everything that he's done when he got there Uh, because I believe he was a wide receivers coach and then got the head job halfway through a season. Um, You don't really hear players talk bad about him. Um, I know recently with everything going on in the world, he's made a couple choice words or decisions that some people question. But he fights for the players. I feel like he's very energetic. When you watch him on the sideline, he's sprinting up and down. So I feel like he's a high-energy guy. So for me, before the pandemic, looking at everything – I think he runs a good program. They win. He gets kids to the NFL. They graduate. Uh, you know, they compete at the college football playoff. Um, I know later on you might talk about their conference, but I mean they win in the conference. When they get to the college football playoff, they beat Ohio State. They beat Alabama. They beat so and so. So they can compete with anybody. Um, so I can't really deny what he's done. Can't argue with. It. I think he runs a good program. Um, and he fights for those kids tooth and nail. He'll come out and say whatever to get them the best that he can. Mm-hmm. Uh that's my short answer side of that. <laughs> All
0: right. Thank you. Uh Coach Whitlock.
5: Yeah, I mean, I you know, Debo always says you gotta be an overbeliever to be an overachiever. And, you know, the guy started as a walk-on at Alabama. Um you know, sitting in the stands with his girlfriend and says, man, I can do this, you know, and, and um, same thing. You know, he's an interim coach. He says, man, I can do this. If I can just rally these guys for a few games here, we can make this happen and go on a long run. And, you know, he believes in himself. He believes in his players. He, he exudes confidence, um, a very aggressive approach on both offense and defensive side. It comes from his personality. That's what he hires. That's what he has brought in. I mean, you look at half of his staff, those players under him, um, or a good portion of his staff, you know, he's, he's a winner everywhere he's been, you know, and, um, um, he's a player's coach. Um, he treats them like his own. He definitely believes in a family environment, uh, you know, wants to, um, bring not just the players in, but their, their moms or dads. He wants them all to feel part of that program, um, has a great game plan for them after the college experience, right? The Paul journey, um, everything that goes behind that and making sure those players are ready for life after college, um, they're not all going to play in the NFL, um, and he knows that. Um, he graduates 84% or higher each year of his players, which is pretty amazing, um, especially at, at that level. I, I mean, a guy like Christian Wilkins who comes back to play for him because he loves it so much. Who could have gone in the first round probably the year before. That That's just kind of the commonplace. ETN coming back, probably the greatest running back in Clemson history, and I think he plays a big part in that, um, just the way he um, – you know, allows his coach as a coach, but he sets a, a path for them, um, you know, very detail-oriented, oriented, um, you know, just a great guy, in my opinion. I met him a long time ago, um, taking my son to Clemson football camps, and um, just as genuine as can be, um, I, I knew he was going to be a winner when he got his opportunity, so. All right.
0: Coach Bennett?
2: Uh, yeah. I, uh, you know, being down here, uh, similar to Coach Whitlock, you know, I've I grew up in Gaffney, South Carolina, which is a little bit over two hours away from from Clemson. I've been a Clemson fan my whole life. I'll go ahead and get that out of there. I wore an App State long sleeve shirt just so it wouldn't be so obvious. So, I man, but I've been there through. I've I've seen some lean years. I remember the Bowden years. I mean, he 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 did some great things for the program, uh, but. Yeah, he, he made a lot of money off beating South Carolina and losing to people who shouldn't. Coach Sweeney's taking it to uh, levels that Coach Whitlock will tell you, years ago winning seven games and going to a bowl game was a pretty decent year. And we would have never thought as Clemson fans that you'd see it like it is today. But, as, but I've seen firsthand how he runs the program and the – I love what he does, and I love Nick Saban. I heard I heard Coach earlier say he's a big Nick Saban guy. Nick Saban's How Good Do You Want to Be? His book is on my bookshelf right now, and I've read it two or three times. Love Coach Saban. Him and Coach Sweeney are very different, and both ways work, and there's no wrong way to do it, as long as you believe in what you're doing. And uh, Coach Sweeney, for all the flack he gets, he gets flack for having opinions that differ from – People with a lot of Twitter followers and a lot of media members. But there's nothing that says you can't have a difference of opinion. And Coach Sweeney was still to this day, if you disagreed with him, he'd still let you come and talk to him and interview him. He's one of the most genuine dudes I've ever met. I mean, I could, I'll give you a short, a short little story and then I'll let somebody else take over. Um, I coached at Boylan Springs High School. And Will Brown is a receiver there right now, played for us. Great kid. Uh, one of the best kids. I mean, he's the kind of guy you want, I mean, you want him to marry your daughter. Phenomenal young man. Well, they offered him a, a preferred walk-on after his senior year. And Coach Sweeney's is the one that made that call. Will had several offers to go play, smaller D1 ball, a lot of D2 offers. And as soon as he talked to Coach Sweeney on the phone, he – called all those other coaches and said, guys, I'm going to Clemson to walk on. But I was at a seven on seven. Coach Sweeney has no reason in this world, being who he is, to walk up and speak to me. I was—I had left Bowling Springs and went back to Spartanburg to my parents' house on the weekend and went to a seven on seven. Bowling Springs was playing Daniel in the seven on seven. I was standing there watching. Sweeney, Coach Sweeney's son and Will were actually playing against each other. And now they're really tight. They might be roommates. Um, I was standing there on the sidelines like this, my arms crossed, and I feel a slap on the back. Hey, Coach, how you doing? I turn around. It's Coach Sweeney. He had walked down from the stands just to come down there and speak. Wow. I didn't have any player he needed right then. Didn't have a kid even on his radar. But just that relationship from seeing me at his camps and – Getting a hat signed one time for my grandpa at his camp. He remembered that. And that had been two years prior. I mean, he's genuine. You say what you want about him. People in the meeting can say what they want about him. Come down to Clemson and see.
0: Thank you. All right. And next, I'm going to have uh, Coach Wilson. So
4: I love the family atmosphere uh, he brings to his program and how open he is with his faith. And obviously, I mean, like everybody's been saying, he's really made them into one of the elite teams in college football. So, I mean, you really can't argue with that. Um, But like Coach Bennett kind of alluded to, and he hit the nail on the head there, you know, he does have a little bit of controversy um, because he does have opinions that differ from the majority. And he will speak up about it. You know, like about college football players getting paid, some of the racial issues and kind of his views on those. Um, you know, they had the controversy a few months ago with the assistant using the N-word. So those are issues, obviously. Um, but like you said, I mean, you can't argue with the family atmosphere he's built there and the success he's had. All
0: right. Thank you very much. Coach Banstra.
1: I I, I, I mean, I have a little bit – different. I mean, my opinion of him is I compare him a lot to P.J. Fleck. And how I say that is, like, they're very different personalities, but you're either going to like him or don't like him. There's nobody that's like, eh. Like, it's one way or another. I mean, most people that don't like him, it's kind of like the P.J. Fleck thing. They don't understand it or they think it's fake. Those are, like, the two common criticisms you get of them. I mean, it's the same. It's just different cultures, but it's the same reaction to it. Um I mean, I personally have never heard anybody speak bad about him. I mean, me and um, Coach Bennett talked last time, I mean, off air. I mean, we talked, I mean, what, 20 minutes of him just telling stories about how good Coach was to him. Like, I mean, I've personally never heard anybody say bad thing. I think from an outside end, somebody, especially for somebody who doesn't even live close to the state, that he runs a good program. I mean, again, there's probably things people are going to disagree with, but again, that's every culture. I mean, there's, I mean, no one's going to agree with every culture, especially if it's not the way you're used to. Um, but, I, again, I kind of just liking it back. because You're either going to like him or you're not. I mean, there's, there's no in between.
0: Yeah, and uh, talking about uh, Coach Fleck, I, I'll admit, uh, when I'm feeling down, I'll watch one of his random talks, one of his random, like, five-second videos, and that pretty much gets me pumped up for the rest of the day. Uh, Coach Bronkhorst?
3: I mean, I'm a big fan of Chris Um, I believe, you know, from a coaching standpoint, I believe in what he does. Number one thing, um, it's kind of the way I've, I've patterned myself as well, is that being a relational coach. He's a relational coach. And that's, a, that, that's a big – that's a difference maker when you're having a sit in the, in the home of somebody's mom who might be a single mother and sending her baby away. You want to make sure that you're sending your son away with, to somebody you you know is going to take care of them um, it, it's a four to five year investment. As the other coaches have alluded to, I think probably what um, rubs Coach Swain the wrong you know look, you know wrong way with a lot of people is the fact that he wears his faith on his sleeve. And I admire. Him. I mean, I, I have a deep admiration for that. Um, I have a, a good friend of mine who spent three years on his coaching staff. And I asked him, is he is genuine as he comes across in the press conferences because people will say he's a Baptist preacher he comes across as a Baptist preacher you know he just you know, he comes across as a snake oil salesman. He, you little salesman know you can pluck a hungry dog off a meat wagon um, but you know he's, he tells me that he's he's as genuine of, of an individual as you're gonna find and and those are the things that I, I, I like I, I don't have a kid that has his comes in material um, but he had somebody and that and, and that was an option that's where I would I'd want him to go because that's the type of man I, I I want my kids playing for
0: yeah that's a pretty powerful statement um the fact that if you ask yourself a question would I want my son to play for that guy and if you say yes he's probably a pretty good dude in your eyes right um, all right, so we're going to move on to the next question, and uh, Coach Banster, I'm going to give you first shot on this one. Uh, the next question is, let's assume everything is the same, same coaching staff, you know, same players, same offense, all that's the same. Would Clemson have the same amount of success that they have had if they played in the SEC instead of the ACC? All right. And coach Bannister, I'm going to let you have first shot.
1: I mean, I mean, probably, I mean, he, he, his success is his culture and his, his staff hiring and their ability to recruit. I mean, that, I mean, that's the honest, like, I mean, he's not a, an ex known as an X and O's guys. He's known as a culture guy for a reason. Like, I mean, he's known his culture and he hires really well. I mean, that's, I mean, we, me and Coach Bennett, again, kind of going back to it, I mean, we've talked about this. I mean, he's got probably one of the – I mean, depending on who you are, anywhere from top five, three to top five offensive line coaches in the country. I mean, I don't care what conference you're in. That's going to be helpful. Like, Coach Caldwell, one, he's one of the most entertaining press conferences I've ever seen in my entire life, uh, which just makes makes me happy. Uh, but he's – I mean, like, he's generally a good – like, I mean, he's mentored other offensive line coaches. He is – I mean, one of the best offensive line coaches, Coach Caldwell in the country. And the other thing is, he probably has his best defense coordinator in the country, you could argue. I mean, Coach, I mean, Coach Venables is, I mean, without a doubt, I mean, you saw what he did within a year and now what several years he's been there, what they did to fix that defense. I mean, they, he, he, those are his strengths. If you take that, I mean, I think they could be successful in most of the conferences in this country. I mean, it doesn't matter. Will they struggle a little more? Probably would things be harder? Yeah. I mean, even though I'm up here up north in Big Ten country, I mean, I recognize how competitive the SEC is week in, week out. I mean, they're recruiting down there in Mississippi, Georgia, Florida, and they, and they even recruit Texas. I mean, that, that's high level football right there. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, yeah, it's, it's going to be a slugfest. It's going to be general, but they've proven it in championship games. Past couple years, beating Ohio State, beating Alabama. I mean, that they can do this. I mean, it, it, it would be very hard to convince me to that they're not going to be successful in other parts of the country.
0: And you bring up that defense. Um, I think Clemson is one of those teams that is the quintessential – I'm going to point to that team whenever some somebody says defense wins championships um, because it's – unfortunately, it's kind of a fact of college football and – a little bit in high school, too, that um, teams that run a lot of, you know, I'm, I'm generalizing here, and I understand that there are there are exceptions to this rule. Teams that are spread, no huddle, go, 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 go all the time, their defense sucks. I mean, you just look at the Big 12. You know, how many of those teams have a real good defense? Not a whole lot, you know. Oklahoma, they go to the college football playoff every year, but you know why they lose? Their defense stinks. All right, watch what LSU did to them last year. Uh, all right, Coach Steve, and we'll let you have the next shot.
6: Um, I think they'd be successful. Now, I don't know if they'd go, what was it, 30-0 and 0 at one point when they didn't lose the game. I don't know if that would happen all the time. They would fall into that Alabama thing where, you know, Alabama seems to lose a game almost every year. So I think they cooks. I don't know if you could handle the beating from Florida, Alabama, LSU, Georgia. Uh, I think Lane Kiffin is going to turn Ole Miss back around. I think uh, Mike Leach is going to turn Mississippi State around. Like, but I think they'd be very successful. But I think you might see them lose a game, maybe one year, lose two games. Um, but like they said earlier, Dabo he can recruit, so that's the big thing. People are going to want to play for him. So if he if they were down there, let's say he was the head coach at. Mississippi State instead of Mike Leach, he's going to get those type of players because they want to play for him. Mm-hmm. So uh, I just think it'd be a lot tougher, but at the same time, it's one of those uh, you're going to play those tough teams week in and week out. So when you get to the college football playoff, you're going to be more prepared or you're going to be beaten down. So I think he'd have the type of players ready to go uh, and still have that success. But I still think they fall in that one loss trap that Alabama always seems to fall into. So you always question if they're going to go to the college football playoff because they lost the game. Uh, so I think that they could, uh, but there'll be times where they lose two games in the SEC, but, you know, uh, they seem to have the SEC-type players. Their defensive line's been huge. They have good coaches, so I still think they could compete at a high level there.
0: Good points. Uh, Coach Bronkhorst?
3: You no, know, I, I agree with with the coaches have. I think they can compete, and I think they would compete consistently. Okay? First of all, they have an SEC-style defense already. Um, they have an SEC-style defensive coordinator. Mm-hmm. If you give that staff that conference, that conference talent to recruit around, and again, you're, you, you're in the SEC. You're closer to the state of Texas. Uh, you're closer to the state of Louisiana. So you know, yeah, they can come in and cherry pick. But now they have a foothold because they have Texas AM um, and m and so you know they're always going to make a trip in Texas every other year, most likely. Um, I think what, what also – one of the reasons why they would, they would succeed is because the style of offense that they run is more of, that, of a power spread. So, though they're, they're a spread team, they're not, your, they're not your Mike Leach spread team. They're your team that, you know, they're running – you know, they're running gap schemes. They're running power. They're running inside zone with the RPOs. Yeah, that, you know, that people look at it and say, oh, they flashy offense. But they pound you. You know, I think you're – 250 yards a game on average on the ground. Um, that's you know I think that's if if Auburn ever had a consistent quarterback you know every year that's what I would expect from Auburn to be doing in the SEC, uh, and, but that's something that with Clemson their quarterback position has been the difference maker for them because you got Deshaun Watson then you go into Trevor Lawrence those are difference makers who make that offense even more powerful than it already is and that's what I think they make you deep in any conference and especially in the SEC.
0: Maybe I'll have to have you guys come back when we actually talk about Auburn, because that, that was a good point. I, the quarterbacks at Auburn are a problem. Um, I love that Auburn offense, but they've just not really been clicking yet.
5: Um, okay, Coach Whitlock. Yeah, I mean, I, I I think they would land in the SEC East if they were in the SEC, which means they would be – you know, their toughest games each year would probably be Georgia, maybe Florida. Um, I think Georgia and them would have some, some you know, knockout blow type of games, right? You know, um, kind of how the ball bounce kind of things. So, so I, you know, um, that could be Florida State. It hasn't been the last few years. Um, Jimbo kind of left that a mess. But the first few years of Jimbo was like that. I mean, there were some some, you know, some – some gut wrenching ones there that went down to the wire. And I think the Georgia, Florida talent is pretty similar in a lot of years, you know, Um, but I think they would compete. I definitely think they would. I think, you know, from the president, the administration, the AD, everybody down is on the same page at Clemson. Um, And it's really created this, you know, harmony there for facilities, uh, recruiting, you know, I don't know how many school presidents actually come and meet the recruits and spend time with them and their families. Um, But at Clemson, that happens. So there's this tight integration with athletics. Um, They're all on the same page. So I think they can compete anywhere, to be honest. Um, And Dabo, during this, you know, his stretch, I think he's 17-9. and But most of those losses in the SEC came to South Carolina when they were the very best teams they've ever had in their 100-plus year, uh, you know, existence as a football program uh, under Steve Spurrier. Um and you know, Dabo, you know, took his lickens, I think, and you know, till he built up the recruiting base. Um, but since the college football playoff era, they've been eleven and three and three of those losses have been L S U and two to Alabama, right? And um and nine and one during the regular season. So I think they've competed pretty well in the SEC. All
0: right. Thank you very much. And uh Coach Bennett.
2: Uh yeah. Uh the SEC, I mean, I've, I've had this argument. If I've had it once, I've had it 10 million times uh, with other coaches that are, are big South Carolina fans. Uh, my girlfriend that lives with me is a huge South Carolina fan. Her, her dad's a huge South Carolina fan. So I get the SEC all the time from every, every angle. And I, we were actually talking about this the other day in the coach's office. If they played... South Carolina schedule this year, and South Carolina has a treacherous road ahead of them. I mean, they with the with the the way the the COVID and having to play all those conference games. I mean, they go they. I think they go to Baton Rouge. I mean, they've got they they've got a, a tough road to hoe. If Clemson played that schedule, they're nine and one, and that is assuming they do the Alabama and they slip and fall somewhere in the middle that they shouldn't. And I say that, and I believe it because I think 9-1 and one or 10-0, and oh, because look at what Dabo's done against the SEC, like Coach Whitlock just said, and it's not like, I mean, we play in the ACC, but it's not like Clemson is running. He is from the SEC, he schedules SEC teams early and often and plays South Carolina at the end of every season, except for this one, which is a travesty. myself. can you hear me now? I muted myself because I was done. did I freeze up or something
0: can you hear me now my yeah. inter- my internet kind of just funked out on me there for a second oh,
2: okay what, it was like was right right,
0: right in the middle of a really great conversation we were having.
2: Well, the last last point is really the most important one, and I'll say it again. SEC teams, why are they good? Why are they on top of the hill? It basically boils down to three things, players, coaches, and facilities. Clemson's got all three of those in spades. They'd be just fine in the SEC.
0: Thank you. Sorry about that, guys. And uh, Coach Wilson. Yeah, I think so. Like I've been saying, they
4: recruited a really high level, so obviously that's not going to be a concern. They're going to have the players. I mean, obviously it helps them being in an easier conference than the ACC, but regardless of where they're at, they're such a great team. They'd be successful anywhere. They just have too much talent, too good a program.
0: Yeah. All right. Sorry about that, guys. I think I've got my internet under control, but we'll see. All right, uh, Coach Wilson, I'm going to give you first shot at this next question here. Um, and it's, it is a question about their schedule. I'm going to list off their current opponents based on uh, ESPN as of yesterday, because you know stuff changes every single day. Um, so here's their schedule at Wake Forest, at home versus the Citadel, at home versus UVA, at home versus Miami, away at Georgia Tech at home versus Syracuse, at home versus Boston College, away at Notre Dame, away at Florida State, at home versus Pitt, and their last game is away at Virginia Tech. So my question is, who on their schedule do you think poses the biggest threat to a perfect season for Clemson this year? This question
4: is easy for me. It's got to be Notre Dame. But this okay. that Notre Dame's had in the past. And, you know, it looks like they're going to be really strong again this year. And I don't really think right now that any team in the ACC can stick with Clemson.
0: I'd kind of have to agree with that. So, uh, next up we have Coach Bennett. You're up again.
2: All right. Uh. I actually, for the first time on first time since we started talking, I have a disagreement. I actually don't think it's Notre Dame uh, because that right now, if you look at their schedule, and you're a 19, 20, 21 year old kid, and you're looking at that schedule, that's the game that circled, and Clemson shows up for those games and they win them. The game that worries me because I was at the Pitt game that they lost, and I was at the Syracuse game that Trevor Lawrence got hurt and they almost lost the games that worry me are October 3rd against the university of Virginia at home because coach Bronx doing a great job in Charlottesville. Uh, if this would be the number one game, if there wasn't stadium restrictions playing in Blacksburg is a nightmare. Clemson's has never really done great there traditionally until The very recent past, Uh, I remember one of Coach Bowden's last years. We had Thunder and Lightning, C.J. Spiller, James Davis. We were top ten in the country and went to Virginia Tech on a Thursday night and just got smacked. Those people get – those people in Blacksburg, Virginia, they get riled up. Uh, I think Notre Dame's probably your third hardest game on the schedule just for the simple fact of name recognition when when Coach Sweeney gets those kids – locked in and they see another big name on the schedule they tend to show up and show out all right
0: uh coach steve
6: i'm gonna give you two uh i think notre dame would be one that's tough um notre dame and clemson always seem to play close uh you know they're getting get typed up for those games too um the other one i'm a little biased um is syracuse um uh coach Babers was at Eastern Illinois as the head coach when I was there um I helped out their spring ball each year I couldn't commit to helping out during their season because I was coaching at high school but I'd help out their spring so I was around Jimmy G I was around Babers and his whole staff so I'm a little biased um they had Illinois or Eastern Illinois go to the playoffs and win the conference for two years he turned around Bowling Green um I know people are going to judge. I do like watching the flashy up-tempo offense. Now, would I run that fast up-tempo? Probably not. I like Clemson's offense. Spread it out and run the ball at them. But I think that up-tempo offense sometimes can get you, kind of like how they got them. Someone did send me the old 2022 film on that game, so I have to break it down and see exactly what happened besides injuries. But I do think those two are trap games a little bit. Um, Babers is a good coach, gets them ready to play uh, with Syracuse. so I think those two are actually really – not trap games, but it would be a tough one uh, to go undefeated with.
0: I feel like Syracuse is one of those teams that year by year they're not very good, but they seem to show up at the most inopportune times for play, uh, teams like a Clemson or somebody like that. All right, uh, Coach Whitlock. Yeah, I you
5: know – I think we're going to be really young on the back end this year. We lost, you know, you know, three guys to the NFL on on, the back seven. Um, And so I, you know, I thought about, okay, which team could really stretch us, you know, throwing the ball down the field and and really nobody really scares me that much. Um, You know, Wake Forest kind of jumps out. They got a, you know, quarterback from South Carolina that can, they they can throw it around. But then I heard their receivers sitting out this year. So I don't know what that's, you know, their top threat is, is, who was really good last year, is not going to be playing. So that, that was kind of the, you know, as Coach Bennett had said, uh, the kind of catch-me game that I was thinking about. I still think Notre Dame is probably the toughest. I do agree with Coach Bennett. They'll be hyped for that game, right? They'll come out ready to play. There's no doubt in my mind. I've never seen them fall flat in a big game ever under Coach Sweeney, um, you know, that I, that I could ever remember. The closest thing was the Alabama game with Kelly Bryant at quarterback. They seemed a little out, out of whack that game. But other than that, they've been on point every game. You know, Virginia Tech is intriguing as well. And Florida State, um, you know, it'll be a new look offense, new look defense, with new head coach, new coaching staff there. Um, they've always had talent there. Um, you know, something's always missing, you know, with that group, right? I don't know if it's culture. Um, it's what it seems like. Um, but, you know, there's always that, uh, that talent factor there. They could, they could potentially pull one out if we're not on our A game. But I, I'd still go with Notre Dame on the road, I think.
0: All right. Uh, Coach Bronkhorst?
3: I think, uh, you know, when you look at the schedule, and we're going to say that this is a normal year, um, it should be Notre Dame. Um, I, I'll lay it out there right now. I can't stand Notre Dame. I'm not, a, I'm not a Brian Kelly fan. I don't believe – in, in, in his coaching approach. And I think that's why in big games, his teams fall flat because they're too high strung. Um, you know, and I think, Coach, uh, I think Coach Bennett said it earlier. And it's the game that I actually have down. I know it's going to be different this year because of all the restrictions, but the game, honestly, that I think is the trap game, the game that can come up and bite him in the butt is Virginia Tech. It's at Virginia Tech. Uh, now I know that it's not, you know, it's not going to be normal Virginia Tech where you get hyped, enter Sandman, and all that, um, which might be one of the the best pregame, um, you know, setups in college football. But to me, that game is the one that just um, just stands out to me as the as a game that might bite them. Yeah. All
0: right, Coach Banstra.
1: Like I get why people say Notre Dame, but as a, I mean, I've yet to see Notre Dame step up in a big game. Like I mean, that's just I mean, like I get it. Like they should. Like it. It historically they are the program. I mean, I get it, but it's they're they're they are they they have not been even remotely recently, and I don't. And I mean, to me, it's and to Coach Bennett and a couple other coaches' points. I mean, it's a trap game you got to watch. It's I mean. Like, to me, I, I think of Syracuse just because they're always getting better. Pitt, because they can just be pesky at times. I mean, I know, I know they gave him that scare a couple years ago. Like, it's stuff like that. Like, Virginia, I mean, he's done a really good job at building a program there. Um, those are kind of the three that stand out to me. I mean, if, if we were talking regular year, I mean, that, again, to their point, the Virginia Tech, you the same man, that that atmosphere – I mean that's a top five atmosphere in the country. You could argue, but to to, to me, it's it's one of those teams that are going to go like in a typical year. That'd be five and seven, six and six. That aren't what, aren't going to wow you, but they'll just throw out every single thing they trick play and little unique thing that they have to try to catch an edge. Um, so my money would be on one of those. I personally, I don't think they'd lose a game. While that schedule, that schedule's. I mean they're by far should be favored 14 or more points in all those games by Vegas. So, um, but if I, I mean, if I had to pick, I'd say probably like Syracuse.
0: Yeah, I think I have to agree. I think um, the Notre Dame again, like you said, was the name factor. That's the first thing that pops into my head when I see that schedule is like, Oh crap, they got to play Notre Dame. But like everybody else has said, what has Notre Dame really done recently? Not a whole lot. Um, they don't really scare me that much. Now, um, I'll probably sound like a uh, like a triple option guy here, but, um, you know, you always got to watch out for that Citadel game, man. I mean, they, they put up a couple upsets last year. I, I will agree I, – I don't know if you guys remember this or not. One of my happiest moments of last season was when Citadel went into Georgia Tech and beat georgia tech i can't stand the way what they've done to georgia tech i'm sorry i college football needs triple option and the way that they treated it i'm not happy about it okay um next question um coach whitlock i'm gonna give this one to you first um in your opinion if someone had a gun to your head and you had to choose um what would you say is the top reason or factor that Cle- of Clemson football success? Would it be the coach? Is it the offensive and defensive scheme? What it, is it the culture? Is it the recruiting? Is it something else?
5: Just to be clear, I get one,
0: one pick here. Just, just one, but you can mention like some, uh, you know, honorable yeah. mentions.
5: And some of these sort of blend together, I guess, but I mean, you know, I, I like Tommy Bowden. I thought, he did a lot of really good things. The biggest difference, in my opinion, is leadership, right? I mean, you talked about Brian Kelly. You know, he could, he could turn a piece of coal to a diamond the way he is on game day, especially in a big game. I mean, he looks tense to me on the sideline, right? I mean, he looks nervous to me, and that's how I felt Tommy was. Tommy was a great guy. If he, you, one-on-one, he'd talk to you, very personable. Um, but on big game day, he looked nervous to me a lot of times. And Dabo is the complete opposite. He believes he's he's going to win and he's going to find a way every time. And that it just just flows into culture. Um, so I think, you know, leadership and culture, you know, is kind of the same thing, I guess, here. So I would go culture first, and everything else comes from that. I mean, I, I wholeheartedly believe that. It's, uh, it's in his DNA. It's the way he thinks. Um, I mean, you see it. He wants aggression on both sides of the ball. That's all culture. Um, I mean, I, I – you know, we always look loose in big games. You know, we don't look we don't look like we are at a big game. It looks like we're there to have fun, a good time, you know, and um the leadership from the guys on the on the team, you know, exude that as well. And it comes right from the main guy on down.
0: Talking about looking loose in big games, uh that national championship game against Alabama two years ago, they look pretty loose in that one. Uh with a with a true freshman quarterback, that was fantastic. All right, Coach Bennett, you're
2: up uh i would i have to say just from being at practices and being in meetings and you know the offense and defense are great and they're a close second but it's culture and the the perfect example of that i went to their first day of contact uh trevor lawrence's freshman year when they won the national championship you were just talking about he enrolled early so it was his first day of contact practice um Shout out to Coach Kyle Richardson, uh, who was, at that time, he was an offensive analyst. He's moved into another role now. He's an offensive genius, if any of y'all ever get the chance. Um, He got me down on the practice field that day. And um, when I was standing there waiting to get my little lanyard to get field access, um, I won't call the kid's name, but one of their superstar receivers, they drive him down to the stadium because the first day of contacts in the stadium. And he is in his girdle, shoulder pads, putting his jersey on with his helmet in his hands, getting off the golf cart. And the security guy said, man, what you doing getting dressed on the golf cart? He said, sir, I was late yesterday, and I'll come butt naked before I'm late again. <laughs> because this – and this kid's a superstar now. I mean, he's – that – everybody's held to the same standard and it don't matter whether you're a walk-on freshman or a stud. And I mean, the culture, the culture creates everything else around it. <laughs> That's,
0: That's a, great a true
2: story. story. Can't make that kind of stuff up. It's
0: a great story. Hey, hey I, man, you've got some connections. I'm going to have to use you to get into Clemson every once in a while.
2: <laughs> <laughs> man, you just, uh, you just let me know when you when you want to make the trip on down in south carolina and, and i'll I'll do the best I can. All
0: right. I mean, I'm kind of bored this year. I don't have football in the fall, so we'll see. Uh, coach Wilson, you're up,
4: yeah, like coach Bennett said i'm gonna, I'm gonna pick culture just because of the family atmosphere like we've been talking about, and you know he just you get the feeling that people want to be around that culture, they want to be around that family unit
0: that he's built there. Yeah. All right, um, Coach Steve? Yeah.
6: Just to piggyback off of everybody, I think it is culture slash recruiting because you build a culture, you can recruit easier and get kids to come. Um, because it doesn't really matter what kind of offense or defense you run. If those, you know, a culture and those kids believe in what you're saying or what you're trying to do, they're going to run through the brick wall. Mm-hmm. Your plays all going to be peanut butter and jelly and they're going to go run through the wall. They're going to go run it and they're nice and loose, they're ready to go, they're having fun. So it starts with culture from the top, not just with him, it's the entire coaching staff, it's present all the way down, because you don't hear anything shady about the university or anything, so it's a great environment. So I think the culture and then recruiting those kids to come, because they believe in what's going on, really helps with the success of what's been going on there ever since he took over.
0: And uh, Coach Banstra?
6: Yeah,
1: I mean, peggy back off. I mean, I mean, I think all of us would probably agree it's ninety percent culture, and part of that is, I mean, I'll go back to what I talked about earlier: is staffing. Like he hires people who fit in his on a staff who his culture. I mean, th- I mean, he's got very strict policies on certain things, and Ben don't break. I mean, outside maybe one of them, in which me and Coach Bitt have talked before, um, but that one does it? Is it really around the rest of them? Um, but I mean, in the end, like. He, any good organization will hire people that will do their culture. Like I, I'm a business teacher. So that, I mean, that's one thing we talk about all the time in class, like to be a successful organization, you need to hire people that fit your vision. If, if, I mean, and that's kind of what he's done. He, he has his culture. He knows exactly what he wants and he makes sure his staff exudes that or else there's consequences or else you're not there very long. Mm-hmm. I mean, and that's, and that's pretty much what all the really good college and even pro coaches have in common is, here's my vision. You either do my vision and adapt to it, or I'll find somebody who can. I'll either fire you or you'll fi- find another job, like some of these coaches do, and you won't be there. I mean, that that and it's an honesty. It's the best way to run an organization. You find people that fit your
3: vision.
0: Yeah. All right, and uh, Coach Bronkhorst. <clears throat>
3: You know, to me, it's um, – I, I think you tie in, – in my opinion, you tie culture and coaching together um, because you don't have the culture without the coach, in my opinion, because um, he's the one who sets that standard. Um, you know, you, I, all the coaches – I mean, I, I agree 100% with everybody. saying. I mean, you, you look at it, again, um, it's one of the reasons – Like I use my son as an example. You know, he plays college football at, at, at the Division two level, and culture matters. Um, he's at a school that I believe in their head coach and I believe in their program and I believe in their culture. If I'm a parent or even a coach and I've got a kid who has an opportunity to go play for Clemson, as I said before, that's going to be the one that I'm I'm advocating for because again, it doesn't. It's not just about the X's and O's. It's not about all that the wins and losses, which are great. But, you know, I'm I, I no bones about it. Winning, winning a lot of ills, but. It's the things that he does outside of the football field that matter with these kids, and so they become better men than they uh, when they leave than they when they came in. And I think that, as a parent, that as a coach, that as you know, any any community member, you look at it and say, "That's that's a program I want to be affiliated with." And so, I think it's coach and culture tied to one as one.
0: Yeah. Um. Raise your hand if any of you have read the book, uh, Culture Defeat Strategy. Those of you who haven't, I highly recommend it. It's not very expensive. Um, I bought both of his books. I I recommend both of them. Um, And because this season, before COVID happened and all that, there you go. There you go. Uh, Before COVID happened, um, well, actually, while COVID was happening, I was like, man, I'm just going to read. You know, I'm just going to learn as much as I possibly can. And, um, you know, in the past, I've always been an X's and O's kind of guy. You know, that was always what I I thought. I thought me having good X's and O's would be winning games. But um, now that I'm coaching with, I'm coaching under a guy uh, at my current high school who is definitely a culture guy. He's taught me differently. um, And I've experienced it. You know, even when our X's and O's aren't necessarily on point, the culture tends to win over. And we've gone for – at Brentsville, we've gone from five years ago not winning a game for six or seven – I can't remember what the exact – like it wasn't very good They um, to within the last five years we've won – last year we won our district uh, title. You know, we won eight and three. That's unheard of at Brentsville. And it looks like we might, if we have a season, we have some talent coming up. We might be able to do it again. Um, and I really believe it's all about that culture. Coach Bronkhorst, I'm going to give you the next one because I know you're excited to talk about this. Um, and I know, and, and you have experience with this because you told me that you watch as, uh, as many Clemson games as possible for this reason. I'm going to ask you, is it practical? And the reason I'm, I'm saying this and I'm asking this question, you see this on Twitter all the time. Oh, who's got the all 22 of the LSU? You know, who's got, the, who's got the playbook from Clemson from 10 years ago? You know, all that kind of stuff. And there's a lot of people out there who think they watch Saturday uh, games and they're like, man, if only we could do that, that's going to take us over the top. In my experience, offensive schemes don't necessarily take you over the top, except for maybe LSU last year, one exception. Um, there's other factors. We'll talk about LSU another time. Is it practical for a high school coach to try and copy an offensive scheme like Clemson's?
3: That's a great question. Um, yes, with a caveat. Um, You know, we're, we're, if anybody follows me on Twitter, then I'm a power, I'm a power spread RPO guy. I'm a Gus Malzahn, Chad Morris, Brent Deerman. you know, I'm in that philosophy tree. Um, You know, watching, watching Clemson evolve over the years from being more Malzahn and they've, they've evolved, you know, they still do, you know, a lot of the same things, but they've evolved a little bit more. You know, there are things that you can do, at the high school level, certainly that you know you can do that. That Clemson does. Um, you know there are things that Auburn does that you can do. I mean that's a high school offense. It's just the wing T um, out of in a power spread set. Um, you know it, it, there's definitely things that you can do. Now there's a lot. You know if you take a look at what Clemson does offensively, there is a lot of, of stuff there. Um, so what you have to do is, in my mind, as a high school coach, you take a look at that stuff and you pare it down into things that. You know that your talent level and your you know, where you are that you can accomplish. You know, are an RPO, you know, and so you RPO off your inside zone, you RPO off of your power, you you know that sort of thing. Um, so you know that's that's nothing that's unusual. It's it's really the concept stuff that they do um, that are that's just next level stuff that you You look at and say, okay, we need to we need to make sure that we pick this stuff down, but you know, at the base roots of it all, you
0: certainly can. I I tend to agree with that. I'm a big believer in uh, the KISS philosophy, keep it it simple, stupid. Um, Yes, you can copy things that um, college and NFL offenses do as long as it fits your current scheme or unless you're completely changing schemes. But you do need to keep it simple because we're talking about high school kids, not college kids. So I completely agree with that. Uh, Coach Steve? We'll let you go. Yeah, uh,
6: I say yes and no. I say no just for what you said. Like, if you really look at an entire college offense, there's a reason why they can do all the stuff they do because they recruit for it. They get way more time to have film and practice than we do at the high school level. Um, But then, yes, at the same time, like, you know, I know all the rages, the air raid passing concepts, which I'm a fan of. I think you could just have them as your passing game. So I think if you actually break it down and make it simple, those kids can do it. But then if, like, I, I know people say Alabama's defense is incredibly complicated. You're not going to take that and use it at the high school level. You might take a bits and pieces of it. Um, but then you don't want a hodgepodge of a playbook either. So I say, yes, yeah, kind of like what everybody is probably going to say. If it fits your system and you can look at how they block power, how they do this one RPO, great. But if you start getting the three-level RPOs, that's a little bit more for those kids that are up there. High school may not be able to do it as well. So I think you can, but that's has to be done in the off season. Don't be doing it during the season. Don't turn the TV on on Saturday and say, oh, my God, why don't we do that? I'm going to install it on Sunday with the coaches, and then we're going to put it in on Monday. Like, Don't think about doing the off season If it fits in your system, great. If not, don't make it complicated. You know those kids have a lot going on. So I for me, it's a yes and no thing. Just keep it real simple and uh let it fit your system
0: all right thanks for coming on uh, tonight coach steve i appreciate it
6: yep thanks for having me i'll see you guys
0: yep uh and coach banstra i'm gonna have you on next
6: um
1: in like my state no um i mean there might be once like there's a billion factors that go to that like how, how how is your, is your coaching staff in the building? How many classes are they teaching? What kind of personnel do you have? Like, I, I, I think in certain states it's easier. I mean, because certain people, states have athletic periods and certain schools are just have talent. Like, I mean, I could list – I mean, I lived in the state of Texas for six, years, six and a half years. I could list schools that have the talent. I mean, that just fork out and have 300 kids on their football roster and all that lovely stuff and have athletic periods – they can do that kind of stuff. Um, in a state like ours, no. I mean, everybody on our, our staff that's in the building teaches five, six periods a day. Um, and our kids, I mean, I, I have a bunch of kids that take AB courses. They're not focused on football. I mean, and they're they're all in person. They're in class for seven straight hours a day. Whereas college, you've got I – might, I might take one class that day. I mean – or in, or I mean, a lot of college kids, a lot of college athletes, just switched to digital before even all this stuff happened. I mean, heck, half my college schedule was digital, and I wasn't, a, and I wasn't a college student athlete. Like, so some schools, yes, I'd say probably ninety percent of the country would probably know. Okay. I mean, just, it's just, it's not because of the part of it's the athletic ability, but a lot of it again in comes down to. Staff, how much time do you have? How much time do you have with your kids, et cetera? I mean, how restrictive is your state association during the summer and the off season? Do you have spring ball? Like, we don't get spring ball. Like, there's a – yeah, I don't – like, in a perfect world, there's some. Most, no.
5: Okay.
0: Coach Wilson?
4: Yeah, obviously, I've been a little spoiled because I've only coached in Georgia. So, I kind of only have that experience off of. Um, but I would say absolutely. You know, I know in our offense at South Cobb, we take a lot of similar plays that Clemson run. But like Coach Broncourt said, I think the key is is to pare it down because obviously you're not going to have near the volume that they would at Clemson. But, I mean, like a lot of their base stuff, especially like when they first got going, um, you know, inside zone, split zone, power, counter. I mean, th- those are plays that a lot of us run. So, mm-hmm.
0: All right, and Coach Bennett?
2: Uh, just kind of uh, piggyback off what Coach Cobb said, uh, I'm, I'm fortunate as well being here in South Carolina. You know, my school's got the athletic period, and, and a lot of our coaches are in there, including myself. Uh, uh, we get them at the end of the day, so we got, we've got a lot of extra time. Uh, but we don't run Clemson's offense. Uh, we're a pistol-wing T tea team. But in the offense itself, isn't overly complicated. And if if you if you study them at all, Coach Bronk mentioned this earlier. I mean, what Auburn calls inside zone, that's what Clemson calls inside zone. Yeah. They call power the same thing, counter the same thing, because Chad Morris got the bones of the offense from Coach Miles on. And when he left, Coach Scott and Coach Elliott kept it. Now they've taken that offense and they've they've scaled it back because Coach Morris Coach Morse is a, a genius and some of his stuff is, is very complicated and wordy. They've scaled it back and then they've kind of built their own way with um, you know a lot of like the third-level RPOs, which they don't run every week, but they have some game plan stuff that's, that's really, really good. And, uh, so, yes and no. I mean, I've been at schools. The school before I came here to Clinton uh, was when we got there, uh, it was one of the worst 5A programs in the state by win-loss record. And in year two, we finished second place in the region and hosted a home playoff game for the first time in over a decade. And the way we did that was our culture and getting foot-to-foot foot in the double wing. We couldn't run Clemson's offense. A lot of schools are in that, in that same boat. Uh, so, I mean, yes, you can call inside zone what they call inside zone. But unless you're very fortunate, you don't have Trevor Lawrence throwing a back shoulder fade 15 yards downfield to a kid who can stop on a dime and jump 38 inches and catch it. Yeah.
0: I have to agree with that. And uh, Coach Whitlock.
5: Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, they're mostly an 11 personnel, you know, tight end, running back. You know, I think anybody could get in that formation and run it. Um, Like you all said, it had to be pared down. And, you know, from, you know, little league up through high school, you know, most of your quarterbacks either, you know, can sling it a little bit but can't move (laughs) or – can move pretty well, but can't sling it that well, right? I mean, you—it's usually it's you know your unicorns that can go on to the next level and, and play big time football. That can do a little bit of both, right? And they're so hard to find um, that to really be able to run that offense and really have a quarterback that can that can tuck it and go um, and can throw it wise on the run, you know, um, sit in the pocket and read the defense and throw it. I I, I think that's very difficult to do. That's why you don't see. Unless, you know, like many of you said, uh, big-time programs that, that really can almost recruit, right? You know, they're, they're so good and they're so, you know, well-known that players gravitate to their district to, you know, let's get an apartment over there so I can play football there, right? I mean, we see some of that around here. And, and, um, and then you put together good coaching staff and you spend a lot of time with those guys. And I think you can run that kind of stuff. But I do think it's, it's tough. You know, personnel you know, tough to find.
0: Yeah, I have to tend to agree. Um, We here in, um, at Brentsville, we are in Northern Virginia in one of the largest, most populated, uh, populated counties in Virginia, but we're the smallest school in the, in the, in the county. So we're a completely different uh, level than the other schools in the county. Um, all the other schools in our county are 6A when we're considered 3A in the state of Virginia. Um, the last school I coached at and taught at, we had 2,500 students. And then, uh, the one that I'm teaching at now, uh, last year we had just under a thousand. Um, so it was a completely different talent level. I will say that, um, and I'm not going to give anything away and, in case my head coach might get a little bit mad at me. But our offense is uh, very heavily influenced by Auburn, by Clemson. We are a power spread team. We have the district player of the year at quarterback from last year's coming back, and he's going to be even better. He was a dual threat guy. I think he had more yards rushing than he did throwing. So we spread it out to run the ball. You can do it. Um, and I'll admit I did have some disagreements with our, uh, offensive coaches because I was on the defensive staff last year and I thought they were getting a little bit too complicated, but, um, Hey, we were successful. Um, I think we got lucky with some good talent. We're going to have some questions in the O-line this year because I'm the O-line coach. So that's a little bit questionable. (laughs) So we'll see how that goes. Um, this next question, I would kind of like to go first on this next question here. Uh, and then I'm going to give coach Bennett the, um, next go around because you have been around it for so long. It's a two part question. I want you to think about who has been your favorite Clemson player in the last 10 years. So who's your favorite player? And if you have memories from farther back, you can go farther back. That's fine. And, uh, what are your favorite special moments or what's some a special moment in Clemson football history that really sticks in your mind when I think about Clemson? So when I think about Clemson, I think about Deshaun Watson. Uh, and uh, Trevor Lawrence, probably, he, he'll probably have a better record. Maybe he'll win another national title this year. Very good football player. I I still would rather watch Deshaun Watson play football at Clemson every day of the week. It's just the energy that he brought, always positive, always um, competitive, always giving it his all. I'm not saying Trevor Lawrence doesn't do that, but it was it was just a different brand of football with Deshaun Watson. Um, so player wise, I'd have to say Deshaun Watson. Now, special moments, I could say. When they beat Alabama, um, Sean Watson throwing it to – oh, God, why am I having a brain fart right now? The the little wide receiver that was there forever. What was his – I can't remember his name. Off the top of my head. He's at the Raiders right now. Hunter Renfro. God, he was there forever, and I can't remember his name. Um, There's so many jokes about that. But uh, I could say that because I was sitting at the edge of my seat, heart-pounding – I was like, oh, man, is this going to happen? What's going to happen? But I have to say that I think the one moment that sticks in my head, because I think this is where – this is probably the moment where they kind of take the next step to be the level that they're at now, was the BYOG game, the bring your own guts game. You guys remember that versus Notre Dame at home? I think that was the one that's probably – in my mind, that's probably where – I know they'd been working towards it. That's where they took the next step to that next level, in my opinion. In the rain. Yeah, it's just that 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 game will stick in my brain forever. I rewatch it every once in a while. You know, I'm one of those weirdos who watches old football games on YouTube. So um uh Coach Bennett, I'm gonna give you the floor next.
6: Uh
2: well, the favorite player thing, I've got I've got Kind of a – I'm froze up, or you're froze up on me. Can you hear me? I can hear you. Okay, okay. You're froze on my screen, but as long as you can hear me, that's fine. Um, my favorite players at Clemson are Noah Green, who was an offensive lineman that played for us at Bowling Springs High School. He came in the same recruiting class as Mitch Hyatt. They were roommates as freshmen. Um, he was a great player. And an even better young man, his his career, unfortunately, his playing career was unfortunately cut short due to some medical issues. Coach Swinney honored his scholarship and uh, let him finish out working with the football team uh, in a strength and conditioning internship-type role. Uh, but he he gutted it out for two or three years. He was on the first national championship team. Um, well, not the first one in 81, but the, the game you were just referencing. Um, then will brown who's still on the roster um as a wide receiver one of the best young men you ever meet in your life and matt king who walked on there he's the same age as noah he walked on was a practice player stayed with it got his degree um and and just another high character kid uh that the coaches at clemson really took in and and looked after, and I love all three of those guys, so those three are special to me. Uh, those would be my favorites, and, and the next time a kid, if I'm ever forced enough to have another kid to play for Clemson, I'll add that kid to the list. But going way back, my favorite Clemson player of all time is Woodrow Dantzler, Woody Dantzler, number one, the inventor, the original, the original dual-threat quarterback. Rich Rod was our offensive coordinator. Uh, he was electric. If you ever get a chance, you tube that. You just put in Woody Dantzler and have yourself a night. Um, my, my best memory, and it's a little sappy, but it's the truth. My grandpa's the reason I pulled for Clemson. Uh, he, he made sure, uh, from a young age that nobody could turn me away from that. Uh, he, he said, he said, if I couldn't do anything else, I was going to make sure Matthew was going to pull for Clemson. So I actually was working in Columbia, which is about two hours away from my hometown of Gaffney. Uh, and uh, when they played for the national championship against Alabama and beat them on the Renfro pass, pass to Renfro, I drove up and surprised my grandpa at my Nana's house and watched the game with him. And I, after we won the game, I asked him, I said, do you remember when I was 12 or 13, he said, Matthew, watching them win in 1981 was one of the greatest films of my life. I hope you get to see it one day. And I got to see it with him. In the same living room, I'd watched a million Tiger games, died a million deaths, and to see him pull one out at the end against the big bad bully on the block with him, thats pretty special.
0: That, that does sound like a special moment. Um, Coach Whitlock, I'm going to give you the floor next.
5: It's so hard to pick a favorite. I mean, I can go back to, um, you know, Homer Jordan and first national championship, um, and then – Woodrow Dancer. I mean, I loved Woody Dancer. I mean, the guy was awesome. He's probably my favorite player up until DW4. I mean, um, Deshaun Watson, um, you know, the playing on one leg against South Carolina, winning that game. Um, so many special moments with him. Um, but, you know, then there's guys, the, the Ben Bowers. I mean, how can you not love that guy? Uh, Christian Wilkins. I mean, every every touchdown that guy was on the field giving somebody a chest bump, lifting them up. I mean, he's just – to me, he's a Clemson man. That's, you know, what I tell my son. You know, that's showing that kind of effort, that kind of attention to your teammates, loving on them all the time. That's just – it's just wonderful to watch, right? Um, but, yeah, Deshaun Watson, um, I'm really becoming a big ETN fan. Uh, it's hard – he's quietly become – the very best running back in Clemson history. It's it's just it's crazy that he he's been ACC Player of the Year two years in a row and hasn't been invited to the Heisman. It's just you know absurd in my opinion. But for the greatest moment, um, I, there's been many in my lifetime. You know, you talk about that changing the game factor, or the, you know that big play in the BYOG or whatever, bringing a guts game. But the the uh, fourth, and I can't remember, 16 or whatever, from Taj to to Nuke Hopkins against LSU in the bowl game um, was huge. That that catapulted the the, the Tigers forward, in my opinion. Um, but the national championship game, after Hertz has that long run and scores, I look over at my son. We're sitting in the end zone, opposite of the pirate ship, and I say, "Man, we just got to get a good kickoff return here." I'm like, it's got to be a good kickoff. We get a good kickoff return. DW's going to win this one. And he's like, yeah, I know, Dan, I know. So, sure as hell, we get C.J. Fuller, who's passed now, gets a good kickoff return, gets us out to 45 or so, whatever it was, and, you know, four or five miracle catches by Leggett and Mike Williams' back shoulder, and then the Renfro catch. I mean, and and I'm going crazy with my son, you know, at the game. Um, I didn't go the year before. Uh, we lost, and uh, so I promised him we'd go. I paid more money for those tickets than I would ever be embarrassed to tell anybody. Um, but, man, you know, now it is worth every penny of it. It was, it was yeah. awesome.
0: Yeah, you mentioned uh, Etn. I think last year there were some rumblings about him potentially being invited to uh, the Heisman, but he does seem to be overshadowed, not, and honestly, it's probably because of Trevor Lawrence. Um, probably I mean and Trevor Lawrence hasn't been invited to the Heisman yet has he I don't think so
5: no he hasn't I, I mean I think the big thing with ETN too is you know we talked about playing in the SEC versus the ACC and I, I think the, the true advantage is, is we're able to sub early in so many games because we get up so big and I mean if you look at ETN's carries last year if he gets five or six more carries each game Um, especially you know in the money time of the game in the fourth quarter he's probably breaking more long ones right and he's I mean he's probably crushing the field at that point I mean his average you know run per carry is I can't remember what it was now but his stat is way higher than anybody else uh, last year that was you know in that league so I think it's just opportunities really and and that's Dabo's way he's going to give somebody else a chance you know that's how you build a family culture right you're not gonna let someone sit on the bench for four quarters when you're up by 20 points you're gonna Get those guys in and, and build up that you know, um, you know, uh, build them up and get them get them going for the next year. You know.
0: Yeah. Um, speaking of again, etn, I think possibly one of the reasons he's been so dominant on the ground as compared to, I mean, it, the the stats we just read when um, Kelly Bryant was the quarterback, they, I mean, they were good, but. In my opinion, they weren't very good at throwing the football. No offense. Um, and so, every team that played them knew they had to stop the run. They had to stop Kelly Bryant. They had to load up the box. And then you put Trevor Lawrence in there, and he's just chucking dimes everywhere. That that and and the RPOs and all that kind of stuff. Everyone's afraid of the the passing game so so much that opens up the run game. So and, – and to lead that – and um, to you, Coach Broncourse, I'm going to let you have that. You have, have a little bit of experience with that probably. <laughs>
3: Maybe. <laughs> uh, we run quite a bit of RPOs. Uh, you know, I, when, I, when I take a look at the history of, of Clemson players, I mean, um, you start with – you have Trevor Lawrence, you have ETN, you have Deshaun Watson, you have C.J. Spiller um, – But when I think of, and this is going to sound weird, but when I think of Clemson football, when I started following Clemson football, and it was before the Chad Morris time, really, but I just, you know, there's something about Clemson that I've I've always gravitated to. to. But um, the Messiah, Charlie Whitehurst, um, I I loved watching that dude play football because he didn't give a damn. Um, He just went out there and balled. Uh, I, I loved watching him play. I love watching him play when he was at the Chargers in the NFL. He just plays, he plays ball. And I just, uh, just love watching him play football. Uh, and I, I think he did a lot of great things for Clemson football that I think go well underappreciated now because of where it is right now. Where, you know, you had Taj Ward. you had um, you know, Sean Watson, Trevor Lawrence, you know, those things. I mean, that was where. You know, he was he was the catalyst of, of things. Uh, my moment um, to me, and I, I it's you know it's so recent. You're like, how can that be a moment uh, when when they when they beat Alabama in the national title game? They slayed the dragon, and that announced to the world that we are here and we are here for good, and Alabama is not going to run college football anymore. They slayed that dragon, and now you know, you know now Clemson and Alabama. I mean, you, they are neck and neck now as the two best programs in college football, run by two very different men, but with the same common goal. Um, and and so that's those are the things that when I, when they beat Alabama on that run throw catch, um, that to me right there was was the was a program defining moment because it slayed the dragon.
0: Talking about slaying the dragon, they, they did it two years ago when they just they, – they they had won that game in the first quarter. I, I'm sorry. They, they were just much better than them. Coach Banster, you're up. I mean, my,
1: my – like, I obviously don't have the same ties to Clemson as some of you. Like, when I, when I think of Clemson, in I, all honesty, I think of C.J. Spiller. Like, I loved – like, especially his senior year, because I pulled it up while you are talking, because that's the first guy that came to my mind. I mean – he had, if you just look all purpose, I mean he's at thirty, like a little over three thousand yards. I mean, he had nine hundred return yards, punt and kick return. I mean he had five five returning touchdowns that year. Now, is that special teams coordinator it's kind of greedy at I me? Mean, but I remember playing NCAA with him, and like, it, it, I mean, like that takes it back and kind of shows how old I am because none of the kids nowadays know what NCAA was is, and it's like long lost stories. Um, But I remember, like, he was electric on that. Like, he was just a dude. I mean, he didn't have the NFL career you thought he was going to have. But, like, I mean, if my memory serves me correct, skimming through his thing, I'm like, his numbers retired at Clemson. I mean, he was all ACC that year. I mean, he was just dominant. And, I mean, you can't ignore that. I mean, I I don't know the history of Clemson running backs nearly as well as these other gentlemen. But, I mean, he's probably in the top five or top ten somewhere with what he was able to do. Um, in terms of favorite, I mean, I don't know if it's favorite, but, I mean, the stuff that sticks out to me um, is obviously their wins against Ohio State, wins against Alabama. I mean, th- those are what – those that would turn them from being a good ACC program to being a national stage. We're now a top two to three powerhouse, and we're going – kind of like Coach said, we're going to run the show now. I mean, it's kind. Of, I mean, really, it was a changing of the guard. I mean, that those those wins right there were like, it's it's no longer Alabama's show to run with another SEC team or Ohio State chasing them. It's now, oh, this ACC team's here now, and we're going to lay the hammer. And I mean, it, he's done a great job with it, and it's been very impressive. All right, Coach Wilson.
4: So being a tight ends backs coach, I love watching Clemson because I feel like they do a really great job using the tight end. So I picked uh, Jordan Leggett and Dwayne Allen okay. for my favorites. And then special moment. So when I was a kid, my dad actually got box seats to Clemson Georgia Tech game, and we had an absolute blast. Uh, that was the game where C.J. Spiller went off and Calvin Johnson got held to one catch for five yards. So that was a, that was a fun game to watch. Great experience.
0: Oh, I, uh, How
5: was that, that game. Yeah.
0: Last couple years. Um, this is the first year that I'm back on the offensive side of the ball. I was a defensive coach for the last few years, coaching linebackers. And so I had much more of an appreciation for defensive guys. So I probably should have remembered this guy, but, um, I would salivate over the opportunity to watch Isaiah Simmons play defense. I mean, it, the NFL guys were drooling and tripping over themselves, trying to get him, and they don't know what to do with him, I don't think. They don't know whether to put him in linebacker, DN, safety. He can literally do everything. Um, and a guy like that, that just – I don't know. All right, last question. Uh, I'm going to have Coach Whitlock go first on this one. Is the Clemson football Dabo Sweeney dynasty here to stay?
5: One hundred percent. Yeah, I have no doubt in my mind. I mean, unless uh, something traumatic happened that would pull him away from football, which I don't, I don't even know what that would be. I don't. <clears throat> I mean, I think that the uh, the ability to impact so many young men's lives. I mean, I think. I would imagine all of us who coached, you know, that's a big part of why we coach, right? We enjoy the sport, but it's, it's also the ability to to influence and to be a part of, a special journey and, and help guide them in the right path. Right. And I think he takes so much pride in that. <clears throat> I don't, I don't, I don't know if he would have the same enjoyment. I mean, he was very successful as a real estate um, developer, you know, did really well on that, but he didn't have that same passion and it brought him back and, so many good stories about how he came back and, you know, what made him come back. And um, I, I just, I think we're, they're here to stay. I mean, I, you know, as long as, as long as he and Brent are together, um, you know, I think the, the other components of their offense, all that stuff is part of their DNA now. Um, you know, Brent's just super creative on the defensive side Um you know, what he did last year was amazing. You know, basically went to a three-man front over a four-man front for most of the year, which I never really played in any kind of extended period of time. Um, and, and using the Isaiah Simmons at Unicorn, like you said, and, and just having him all over the place uh, was just beautiful to watch. It was amazing. You know, he was, it was so unusual to see. Um, so I think they're here to stay. All right.
3: Uh, Coach Bronkhorst. I, I think if if it's here to stay as long as Davo is, um, because I think you know you look at you know down here for example you look at you know the the program that Mac Brown built at Texas during his time, um, and then he left and Texas has not been the same since. It's amazing how fast it came down. Um, the same thing. That's what my fear would be for Clemson with um, because the culture there, because he's the tone setter. Um, like I said, I mean, coordinators come and go. I mean, you know, coaches come and go, but he is the tone setter. He's the one that sets the whole thing in place and the whole thing in motion. When you lose an alpha dog like that, um, that, that has ripple, effect, ripple, effect, ripple effects. Um, so, I, I mean, for me, yes, I think it's here to stay as long as he is. And, he you know, obviously he, he doesn't show any signs of slowing down. Um, so, you know, I really – I don't expect him to ever go to Alabama, even though it's his own mater. I think Clemson is the place that he he retires from, honestly.
0: Right. Uh, Coach Banstra. I, I mean, they, they've, they've started hitting
1: already. I think, I think it kind of comes up to two factors. I mean, one is – proving that alabama doesn't poach him when nick saban leaves like i mean that's that's the main one i mean it's alma mater it's gonna be hard for him but at, at that point he's probably been at clemson too long for them to be able to poach him in all honesty unless he absolutely wants scenery change or uh, unless it's absolutely his dream job um and the, the other thing is as long as you can keep hiring good people around him i mean again that's as a business teacher, I keep going back to that. If you hire good people, it makes your job easy. and makes it hard for it to change. I mean, Brent Venables is – eventually some school is going to give him head coaching job. Like, I mean, I don't think he's going to be Bud Foster and just be a defensive coordinator the rest of his career. At some point, he is going to be a head coach. So you're going to lose him. How do you replace that? When Coach Caldwell retires finally because he's getting up there in years, who are you going to replace him with? I mean – he just lost, what, one of his co-ocs or both? I can't remember off the top of my head. I mean, one of them. So, I mean, how's that transition happen? I mean, I mean that's 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 what's, in all honesty, what's really hurt Coach Saban. I mean, his staff got poached every year. I mean, and, I mean, his staff hasn't been poached nearly the severity yet because they've been a little more picky. They've stayed because I think they like the culture. They like the environment. But when that does start happening, is he able to replace people or does that Kind of like Coach Saban, does it start becoming a struggle after the third or fourth year in a row where you you lose half your staff?
5: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, that's kind of where I'm at with it. Can, can he maintain a good staff, and does he ever choose to leave? Because he ain't going to change his culture. He's going to be him. He's going to be true to who he is. So as long as as long as that culture keeps going the way it is, there's no reason to expect it to change. All
0: right. Um, who else? We've got Coach Wilson
4: think so like everybody else has been saying as long as they keep Dabo and they keep venables like i'm a massive venables fan like we've been talking about with the way that he used simmons like they were just a blast to watch just because he's so creative in the way that he used simmons and um like we talked about too like the changes they made to the scheme some of the things they did just watching them so creative
0: and uh, last, but definitely not least, Coach Bennett. Uh,
2: I have a, a, a couple notes jotted down on this, but when I – the first thing I wrote down when I was making notes for the questions that, uh, that you said, the questions we knew were going to be here, I wrote down one thing, what they have won't disappear overnight. And by saying that, I think that Coach Sweeney, him and Alabama, that's always going to be a rumor. Whether he you know, whether he comes out in the media and says ten thousand times I'm not going to Alabama, that Bear Bryant quote, When Mama calls you go home is always gonna be there. And and him playing um, for his name's his name slips me. The head coach to Alabama that he played for, uh, that played for Coach uh, Coach Bryant, they like Gene that, Stalin. Gene Stalin, thank you. Uh what Dabo's doing at Clemson is, in my opinion, similar to what Coach Bryant did at Alabama. In that, when Coach Bryant left, Alabama still won for a while before they hit hard times. I mean, I was our, our tight ends coach is from Alabama, and his family's huge Alabama fans. And I asked him uh, just the other day, I said, "What?" Well, I said, "When y'all got rid of." Um, the coach and we lost Auburn three times. He won nine games a year. Clemson has people on staff that, if they stay and they take that job, and they they're going to be the guy after the guy who could carry the load. If Dabo were to leave, if he left and took the whole staff, I think there's one or two coaches that are very, very few and far between out there that could come in and keep it at the level for more than three years. But here's why they'll be successful if Dabo leaves for at least two to three years. When Trevor Lawrence had his first day of contact, I told you I was at that practice. That day, five quarterbacks took snaps. Kelly Bryant, Zarek Cooper, Chase Bryce, Trevor Lawrence, Hunter Johnson. Hunter Johnson started at Northwestern, Trevor Lawrence, he's still at Clemson. Chase Bryce, gonna probably be the starter at Duke this year. Zarek Cooper went on to have a great career at Jacksonville State. Kelly Bryant went to Missouri and was named the starter the second he walked on campus. It's tough to lose with cats like that. Mm -hmm. And when Dabo leaves, those kids will stay. So you you would have to see a mismanagement of global proportions for Clemson to fall very far, quick. And I personally, I think there's – I think there's there's one to two guys on staff that if they had a chance at the job, they'd stay. And I think they could keep it – I think they could keep it rolling.
0: And uh, Coach Bronk, you kind of mentioned Texas there a little bit. Uh, <laughs> I will admit Texas – I've been a Texas fan um, since the first time they won a national title with uh, Vince Young. I I will have to disagree with you. I do think that it, they started to decline a little bit. I think the decline started when Colt McCoy went down in the national title game. I think that is when the decline started personally, because the next year I, they didn't even go to a bowl game. The next year, I don't, I don't think they went five and seven. I'm done my soapbox.
3: I'm going to done my soapbox here because I got. I'll say the biggest the biggest problem that happened in Texas is complacency. Um. After the after the uh, after the national championship year with Vincione,
5: yeah.
3: Um. They stopped recruiting like they hadn't recruited. Now, now, granted, when Matt Brown left, he left at eight and four. You know, he was forced out at eight and four. He had re- he had turned started to get things back, um, but they were not. They were not at the level they had been in. But they were still winning eight games. Um, you know, they play for the big basically the de facto Big Twelve Championship against Baylor his last his final year. Um, mm-hmm. the biggest problem that happened with Texas was they had Garrett Gilbert as their start, you know, their their quarterback the next year. And because of what happened in the Alabama game, he completely junked their philosophy offensively and wanted to become Alabama. Mm-hmm. He, Never wanted to be put in that position again, where if his quarterback went down, that they would be done. Well, the problem is that he he did he he saw it only through a tunnel because Garrett Gilbert kept them in that game in that national title game because that's the philosophy that Garrett Gilbert played in in high school. And the worst thing that ever happened to Texas was going away from that air raid style of offense and trying to go into that a set double tight stuff. That is, they just weren't suited for personnel wise, and that just led to
5: a lot of negative things for a few years. Yeah. You know, just to chime in on this, it's kind of crazy because Dabo's first visit, other staff, was to Mac Brown. He called all these other big guys. and They all said, now didn't you coming out?" Um, I called Mac Brown. And he said, "Yeah, come on out and visit." So Dabo went out, and he credits this day. You know, the a lot of his a lot of his attention to detail stuff, things that he does um, from Mac Brown. And I, and I think Mac lost his way a little bit on the recruiting side, kind of got away um, from uh, the, the cultural aspect. Who was he? Who is he la- letting come into his program, right? And, and, and I'm, not, I'm not even a closed Texas fan, but from afar, that's the way I saw it. And, um, you know, Dabo says, hey, if you're going to offer that guy, if he's, if he's the worst player we got on the team, you're going to treat him just like he's the best player, mm-hmm. and you're going to have to coach him the same way. So you better make sure you're approving that guy's character – his ability, everything is—you like his parents, whatever it is, right? I mean, you're gonna to have to deal with that guy for the next four to five years, yeah. and um, I think that—that that was the—the the thing I saw with Mac. He kind of got away from that, distanced himself, or whatever, yeah. or either didn't have the right staff to do. Well,
3: that. I think part of the problem too with Mac Brown was he was already going into retirement mode. That final year at Tech, you know, that would have been should have been his final year at Texas. The year that they. Played Alabama national title. It's a known fact here in the Austin area that if they win that game, he retires. Will Muschamp was your de facto, you know, head coach and waiting. So there had been a lot of they. They did. They internally had a lot of issues going on staff wise. People not getting along because Will Muschamp had basically taken over a lot of things um, staff wise, and because Mac was just coasting. And it, that game didn't go as planned, and all of a sudden he threw that thing into neutral, and said, "I'm coming back." And that's you know, then you have that that factor of now, Mouse Champ takes the Florida job, and uh, and had you know, so Mac has to pick up pieces for a staff that's fractured. So you know, but yeah, when, when Mac was at his height of his of his game, coaching wise, um, he was he was captain culture. Yeah to see it a lot here. You know, he was one of those guys like like Babo is now where I mean you go to a coaching clinic, I go to a coaching clinic and I'm standing there and at the time I'm you know I'm a 3A, 4A you know assistant coach. And he passed me on the back, doesn't see my name tag. So he passed me on the back and says, Coach Broncourse, how you doing? And I'm if to this day floors me. Have no idea how you know who I am.
5: Mm-hmm.
3: Just but that's why he was able to get the recruits he he got. Because he was that that much attention to detail. And that's why I think Clemson is the way they are now is because that was the same way. It's the attention to detail. It's knowing the little things uh, from the head coaches, assistant coaches that he deals with to mom and dad in the living rooms. It's those things that make a difference.
0: All right. Yeah. I'll, we'll have to – let's save the Texas talk. For when we uh, –
3: <laughs>
0: you know, don't don't want to waste it for uh, when we actually do have a, a Texas episode because we will because they're one of the teams that I that I follow all the time. Um, all right. So we didn't have any uh, Twitter listener Q&A questions. Um, and we've gone pretty long here. Oh, it's about an hour and 40 minutes. Pretty good talk, though. Um, I'm going to give it every one of you guys a, uh, a moment for some final thoughts. Um so, you know, just kind of keep in mind, you know, people are going through a lot right now. So I, I know you're going to try to keep it positive. So uh, Plus uh, I may or may not be being watched and I have to keep everything positive. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> final thoughts, um, I'm going to let uh, Coach Wilson go first. I'm just excited football is coming back. we got the
4: NFL gearing up. Several of the, of the conferences in college football are still rolling. We're playing in Georgia. So, I'm excited about that.
3: Right. Uh, Coach Bront? Yeah, Sam, same, uh, Coach just saying, for, for us here in Texas, the Class 1A to 4As um, started scrimmaging tonight. And for us in Class 5A and 6A who don't get to start scrimmaging for another three to four weeks, our, you know, all eyes are on, on these programs to see how they're doing, um, because it's important. You know, to me, um, this is a this is an unprecedented time, uh, and I think now more than ever we we need to be in the forefront of things, uh, not only socially but also uh, you know helping our helping our kids from the mental aspect. Uh, they've been they've been quarantined for for a while now, um, and so things are loosening up slowly. But, you know, my encouragement always to all the coaches out there, just, just do your job and do it safely. Um, do the things that are asked because, you know, if we want to have a season this year, regardless of what your politics are, do the things that are necessary to be done to, to make it happen because it's important to the kids. Um, you know, I, I, I went on a Twitter rampage about a week ago or two about hashtag we want to coach, hashtag we want them, we want them to play. Um, because it's it's important to them. Um, because I think from a mental standpoint, it's important to them. Um, so, I think, Coach, this has been a blast. I'll, I'll come back anytime and talk ball. Um,
0: yeah, I, I'd be happy to have you guys come back. Um, I was lucky enough to have Coach Bennett and Coach Bancher come back. Um, hopefully we can get you guys to come back again. Uh, Coach Bennett, you got any final thoughts?
2: Yeah. Uh, yeah, first and foremost, I just uh, want to echo the sentiments of my uh, brethren from here down south in Texas and Georgia. Uh, we're, we're getting geared up to go, uh, barring anything major happening, uh, first day of practice, September 8th. And uh, and I also want to say to the guys who, who are either in limbo or not playing until the spring, like I said on the last podcast, keep your head held high, be strong for your kids, because it's going to happen. And and the kids need us as coaches more now than ever. Um, One thing I heard earlier, Coach Banstro, you know, talked about eventually Coach Caldwell, the offensive line coach, who I think, for my money, is the best in the country. um, About him retiring, a little inside baseball. He's got a daughter. Her her main hobby is riding horses. It ain't cheap, brother. He ain't retiring no time soon. That's what he told me. He said, horses are expensive, (laughs) man. He said, I can't hang this up. Uh, but before I, before I get off, I just like to just to shout out Coach Caldwell, offensive line coach, and Coach Kyle Richardson at Clemson. Uh, those are those are two guys who, no matter how high they go up in the in the coaching world, or no matter how busy they are, those are those are two great guys who, no matter what, I can call, and if they don't answer, they'll call me back, um, and and they'll help me out with whatever I need. And I highly encourage all you guys, whenever this stuff clears up. Reach out to Clemson. If you wanna go down there and if you wanna see how they do it, you wanna see you wanna see how they bake the bread, Dabo's open door, man. You set it you you call down there and get it set up and they'll let you come in. I mean, me and uh, a buddy of mine from here in South Carolina, uh, Coach Andy Hudgens, Clemson grad, coaches at Wade Hampton High School. We actually both O L guys, we went and sat in Coach Caldwell's meetings, uh, this bright, right before they were doing spring ball, before all the world fell to pieces so that was just this that was just this year i mean they're they're like that man open door policy great great people and if there's anything i can ever do to help any of y'all please reach out to me and coach sheffer i'd love if you're not tired of me and coach banster yet you just let me know and i enjoy talking ball with him i'll come back on the podcast anytime you want to have me thanks for having me again
0: yeah no problem um i'm definitely glad to have you guys um coach banster any final thoughts um, I, mean, I mean, we, we got our first
1: game here, and depending on if you count, I mean, to me, I don't count today anymore. Um, in in seven days, uh, so I'm focused on trying to beat Xenia. Um, so that's kind of my my positive outlook on it. I mean, make make, and I, like I said on our last podcast, I mean, do what you're supposed to be doing. I mean, wear your mask, follow whatever regulations your state and your state association have giving you. I mean, it. it I mean part of it is selfish. Like I want, I want to coach football and I love football. The other part of it is like, I mean, you have, you have kids that haven't been involved or doing things since, was it February, March, depending on what sport they last paid. And a lot of them didn't get to play spring sports at all. Like our, our school got if it got canceled the day of our first spring baseball game, I mean, scrimmage. So they didn't get to get anybody. Um, but stuff like, like, just focus on that. It's not about you, it's about them. The same thing goes with the classroom for those you teachers that just, I mean, do what you're supposed to be doing. Don't get yourself in trouble. Don't risk people's lives. Don't risk getting shut down. Don't, don't risk all that. Be, be smart, be positive. And then, uh, kind of off Coach Bennett, like, I mean, Coach, as long as my schedule isn't too hectic, I'll be on here whenever you want to have me. I mean, I enjoy this. I love talking ball with people, just especially this kind of stuff where you just get to talk about program, talk about coaching staff, talking about, Everything else, it's it's always fun. Always get getting different people's perspectives. Pers- uh, can't speak. Perspectives. And, like, anytime I can talk to someone from Texas, it's always a good time. I mean, like, like I said, I think I mentioned briefly in the last podcast, like I was supposed to be down there in April this year, and unfortunately COVID kind of canceled that for me. So, um, again, thanks, Coach. Thanks for having us,
0: and it was fun. Yeah, no problem. And uh, Coach Whitlock.
5: Yeah, I just hope you all are safe. Your kids are safe and you all get to play, you know, a full season and get it in. And um, I know here they pushed it to the spring and, and, you um, know, I, I think it's important, right? I mean, it's, uh, you know, every, every step of the way, it's an opportunity to build culture, to, you know, help men, you know, young, young men become men. Right. And, um, and uh, through a sport that we all love. So I, I hope you all get the opportunity. It's not taken away from us. Um you know, man, that's, that's really what I'm hoping. I hope we get to watch football on Saturdays and Sundays and, uh, you know, go out on Friday nights and hopefully get to watch if they'll let us come, come and sit, you know, so good luck to y'all.
0: Thank you very much. And uh, thank you coaches for coming out. I really appreciate it. I do look forward to uh, future talks. Um, and for those of you listeners, thank you guys for listening to the armchair coaching podcast. Uh, This was the profile, uh, program profile for the Clemson Tigers. We are going to have many more program profiles so long as everybody's schedules holds. Um, We'll see what the next program profile is going to be. And this is Coach Sheffer signing out.